Good morning. Our reading this morning is out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 18. So that's Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God and the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access and one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, Lord, for just this reminder of uh, the separation of your chosen ones from the Gentiles and uh, just how you... Uh, tore that down with your your son Christ and just a reminder to us that um, by belief in in him we can have eternal life and and be uh, one united brothers and sisters whether we're Jews or Gentiles uh, doesn't matter Lord Um, we are one in Christ we praise you for it we thank you that we can come together today and worship uh, no matter what our background just with our our songs, with our prayers, just hearing your word, we ask that you would uh, continue to change us day by day and make us more like your son. And we ask you to be with Steve and just give clarity as he's sharing those the message that you gave him this week and knowing that you're working in him through your spirit. We praise you for that. And just thank you and, and bless this day in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Great to see you on this cooler day. I was talking to somebody this morning. I says, you know, this is maybe one of the first winters I've really seen down here in Florida. This really has been a good winter. I've loved it. Talked to my, um, um, well, I looked online this morning. And I was born in a storm like Iowa temperature. There was 20 below, northwest Iowa, 47 below wind chill. I said, okay. Then I called my brother up in Omaha. His, uh, he said it's warmed up. He said it was, uh, it was 15 below. It was 17 below. So... And, and, of course, you, if you think at all, you know that there's probably barely any churches actually meeting, maybe doing online stuff, but probably in his church isn't meeting because you're not going to, as a pastor, have your person. People come out when it's 15, 20 below and 40 wind chills. So it's really interesting. But maybe think of this chapter, which I've read before. I'm going to read a little more because, you know, I, I watch the weather. I, I assume most of you watch the weather, at least a little bit of it, you know, and have your favorite weather person, and, and you know, we got we to gotta know what God says. I really feel like just 
copying these pages I'm going to read here and send them to these weather people because, um, you know, they talk about Mother Nature and it just bugs me. But anyway, this is Job 36 and 37. We've read 37 before, but it really starts in 36. And I'm not going to really make maybe a couple comments here, but not much. But it's so encouraging to see this. Job 36, verse 26. How great is God beyond our understanding. The number of his years is past finding out. He draws up the drops of water, which distill as rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture, and abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds, how he thunders from his pavilion? See how he scatters his lightning about him, bathing the depths of the sea. This is the way he governs the nation and provides food in abundance. He fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. His thunder announces the coming storm. Even the cattle make known its approach. Job 37. At this my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sound of his roar. He thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour, so that everyone may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. Isn't that interesting, last phrase? He stops all people from their labor with the weather. People are stopped. You know, they stopped the whole football game last, or yesterday, I think, in Buffalo, or today. Stop people aren't, the people aren't doing anything. He stops them. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from his chambers, the cold from the drying winds. The breath of God produces ice, and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised, those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind. Can you join him in spreading out the skies hard as a mirror of cast bronze? Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies. After the wind has swept them clean, out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and is exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness he does not oppress. Therefore people fear him, for he does not have regard for all the wise in heart. So instructional, so really encouraging to Know that we have a God who's complete charge of every single drop of water, every single breath of wind. It really, really is amazing. We're going to continue on with the Beatitudes, which I can't remember. We stopped sometime, maybe it was back in December, November. And, and so anyway, we're going to continue on here. But we look at the world around us. There's many conflicts, many disputes, many divorces, a lot of division, a lot of hate. A lot of animosity is because of a person's sin, a pride and 
selfishness and anger and really just a lack of love. And what we need is peace. And I'm talking about godly peace. We've all heard of peace treaties, some peace treaty where you had a piece of paper and it's not real, genuine, godly peace. We know that. So today we're talking about peace, about God's peace. Matthew chapter 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There are four points we need to look at with reference to this one verse here. First, God wants you to have peace with him, with your creator, with God himself. Secondly, God wants you to have, help others have peace with him. And thirdly, God wants you then to have peace with other believers. And fourthly, God wants you to help other believers have peace with each other. There's a lot here. This is going to take us two, different, two messages, one this week and then another in a couple weeks. So let's go through these. First, you need peace with God. There's no way that you can help another person have peace with God if you don't first have peace with God yourself. There's just no way. You need to know the peace of God. And the reason, of course, we don't have peace with God is because of our sin. Sin is a huge, huge spiritual barrier between us and God. And because of our sin, we're enemies of God. Because of our sin, we are at enmity with God the sin, of course, is seen in our thoughts and our words and our actions. Colossians 1.21 says it well. It says, you were formerly alienated. Alienated, a word that means we're apart, we're separated from God. We are formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. The sin, then, is in our mind, it's in our heart, it's in our deeds. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be a peacemaker and this really, in one hand, is, is, is one way to say this is Jesus' primary mission, to be a peacemaker, to enable each of us here to have peace with God. And so God sent his son to be the peacemaker. Acts 10, 36, God says, says God was preaching peace through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is in the only one, the only one who can enable us to have peace with God and peace with Christ and peace with others. Colossians, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. It talks about this, this truth of reconciliation. 1, verse 19 to 22. It was the Father's good will, good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and and though, although you were formerly engaged and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Reconcile then, a word then meaning God wants us to have peace with him, and that's his desire to do it. And so what did Christ have to do? And I say that because there's nothing that you can do to cause this barrier of sin between you and God to be taken away. Nothing. Nothing you can do to help anybody else either. Only God can do this. Only Christ can do this. Romans 5.10 says, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, says what Colossians 1 just said there. Jesus Christ could deal with our sin and remove this barrier of sin between us and God because he died for us and he paid the penalty for our sin. The point is that we should have been punished for our sin, but Christ was punished for us. He was our substitute. He took our place on the cross. That is what he did. And all who then repent of their sin and tell God that they're sorry that they sinned against him and believe that Jesus Christ died for them and paid for their sin and then rose again, 
showing victory over sin. These then are all ones who are forgiven of their sin. They're, they're reconciled to God. They're not at enmity with God. And they then have this peace with God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we have faith in Christ, when we believe that Jesus Christ paid for our sins and we're forgiven, we're righteous, we have this peace with God. I like Psalm 85.10. It says, says, Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This tells us that there's this sweet connection, this intimate relationship between righteousness and peace. That's what it's saying. When we have the righteousness of Christ, when we are right with God, when we're holy because of what Christ did for us, then we can have this special, this wonderful, this perfect peace with God himself. That is, righteousness then is the reason we can have peace with God. This peace then, we talk about, and we read this in Romans really quite a bit, Romans 3 and really Romans 5 too. This peace is both judicial and relational. It's judicial judicial, and that God the, God the judge, God the judge, sees what Christ did on the cross by removing this barrier of sin between us and him. And thereby then, therefore then, God, in a legal sense, seeing what Christ did for us, could declare us righteous, could declare us holy, and then give us this peace. And the Holy Spirit then gives us this peace in our heart, the work of the Spirit in terms of his, his work in our salvation and this peace here with regards to our relationship with God. And because then we are reconciled to God, because we then have this, this peace with God, then we have this close and intimate relationship with God himself. That's what we are talking about, the importance of the sin being taken away so we can be righteous with God, so we can then have peace with God. And sometimes, and you all know this, we feel this peace with God, and sometimes we don't. But regardless, whether you feel this peace or not, what you need to do no matter how you feel, you need to believe that Christ died for you and that you are righteous in Christ. And because you were righteous, God then, in a legal sense, has declared you righteous. Then you have peace with God. That's, that's what we're saying here. That's it. So having your sin removed by the work of Christ and the cross results in you having peace with God and, 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 and this relationship with God, this, this fellowship that God wants you to have. It's so, so important that you understand this peace with God that we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, you know the verse is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so having fellowship with the Spirit, of course, means then you have fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son. Turn to John, 1 John 1, because we need to talk about some of the practical elements of this. We, we talk, 1 John chapter 1, There's just two simple phrases that are important to remember as we continue through our time this morning. We're talking about how through Christ we have peace with God. And then what God wants for us is to have the peace of God in our hearts. You get that? Peace with God, that's what's happened when we're saved. All of us here as believers have peace with God, but we don't always experience that peace of God in our heart. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us and that's what he wants to do. But let's go back to 1 John 1 here. This important section relates to what I just said. Verse 3, what we've seen and 
heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So you see this whole idea of having fellowship with God here. And we continue in verse 5 then. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness or no sin at all. In, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from our all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So now he's talking about the practical outworkings of this righteousness that God wants for us. But So you see what this says here. God wants us to have fellowship with him. He wants us to have a good relationship with him and with Christ and other believers. That's what's clear message in these verses here, this good relationship, this peace that he wants us to have with himself and other believers. And the key to having these relationships is that we need to be consistently dealing with the sin in our lives consistently, which happens as we confess our sins to him, okay? We've talked about this example before. You know, all of you, to some degree, like to keep things clean. Some of you are better than others. I know my wife is better than me. But what's most important in our lives is wanting to have our souls cleansed. You can think, oh, I got to get the house cleaner. I got to vacuum this or wash this or clean up the bath. Okay, that's fine. That's good. But what's most important, what's paramount, what's imperative for your life is having your soul cleansed from sin. That's what we are talking about. And when we're saved, we're forgiven of our sins. And we're right with God. We have relationship with God. We have this eternal life, this eternal relationship. And this peace with God then. But to experience this peace, to have this peace of God, we have peace with God when we're saved. If you're a believer, you have peace with God. That's the way it is. But to experience the peace of God, the peace of Christ in your life, then you need to deal with the sin. Have this ongoing relationship with him. That's what you need to do. That's what I'm saying. You need to confess the sin that God then reveals to you. John chapter 13, which we've looked at before, but it's, 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 it's the, one of the most practical verses are really uh, about this, or suggesting the practicality of our relationship and being cleansed. John chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. So it says you're clean, so he gives this illustration, this, this picture that you've got to keep your feet clean. And back then, of course, people walk around, they had their sandals. I don't think they had socks like we have today. And their feet would get dirty. Gave the example of keeping your feet clean. And the way then, is, as Christians, we should keep our souls clean. We're righteous. We have peace with God. We have peace with Christ. But this peace of God is what he wants us then to have. So if you're saved, if you're a Christian... And you're not experiencing the peace of God, the peace of Christ. And usually, most usually, I'm trying to think of this example. It's not, but it's also usually. Usually it means there's some kind of sin, okay? That's, that's what we're saying. It could be any kind of sin. It could be jealousy or anger or 
selfishness or impurity, or it could be just being unloving towards somebody. Any one of these things here. And if you're not sure what this is, then pray and ask God, God, show me what this is. If, if, if there's this sense where you're not just connecting with the Lord and you don't sense the peace of God, the peace of Christ, then pray and, and ask him if there's some particular sin. And the verse that I've mentioned many times, it, it, it's a good one. It, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me then in the everlasting way. That's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. So you pray that, and you pray that sincerely, God will reveal it to you, whether it's as you read the word or just through your spirit and your own heart or whether it's through another person, God will do that. But I, again, I can't stress enough the importance of of having a soul that's clean and right with God and, and, and then experiencing that peace of God that God wants to give you. Now, some of our most common sins, I would suggest if I'm going to think about life and people I know, I talk to you and I think of my own self, some of the most common sins in life are anxiety and worry and fear. It's like they're all in the same family, you know, these three brothers. They're all, there's anxiety and there's worry and there's fear and they're all sort of connected and related. And these kind of sins will rob you of having peace with God. You all know this. All of you have experienced this. You go along, things are good, and all of a sudden something comes up, you start worrying about it, you know, and getting fearful and the peace is gone. Okay? It's gone. You all know that. That, that happens. Colossians 3.15, I said before the peace with God and peace with Christ. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ. There it is. Rule in your hearts. Now, you know what it doesn't say? Let anxiety rule in your hearts, which is true even for some Christians, right? Anxiety more than peace for some Christians is what which rules your hearts. It's one of the saddest things. All of you know people who are anxious, right? And some are really anxious. And it's not good. It's not right. Let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then Philippians 4.17 says, Be anxious for everything. Doesn't say that. But there's some people like that. Anything that comes along, they get anxious, they worry about. That's just, it's not good. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your hearts be made known, your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We read verse Colossians 3, 15, the peace of Christ here in Philippians 4. Read about the peace of God. So you get this? As a Christian, you have peace with Christ. You have peace with God. You have it. That's the way it is. But this peace of God, the peace of Christ, which is the work of the Spirit in your hearts, is what he wants to give you. Now, I mentioned the importance of confessing your, your sin to God, but I want to share some other, other principles that I believe will help you then get victory over anxiety and worry and really other kinds of sins. Just a few here. First, know that you have peace with God. Peace with God. Okay, that, that's foundational. We talk about that peace with God, then the peace of God. Know that you have peace with God, that you have this relationship, that you're righteous, that you're forgiven. That's foundational. Always remember that. That then is, is, is related to you having this peace of God. Secondly, know that God greatly loves you. We sang that song, a couple songs, the Lamentation song as well as the, the um, uh, uh, Deep, Deep Love of Jesus song. Both were really, really good. Psalm 103, verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward those who fear him. And I, I would suggest that as Christians that all of you have your favorite love songs, okay? Love verses, I mean. And just write them down. Maybe have a piece of paper. and you can, If you need some, I'll give you some. But there's plenty in the Bible. 
need to be reminded that God loves you no matter what happens. That's important. I like what Steve said, how, how you, know, you know, we change and how we think. God never changes in his attitude towards us, never. He's always, always the same. Thirdly, know that the God through the Spirit is, is, is in you, that he's with you. It says, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you, don't you know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, that, 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 that the Spirit is in you? Don't you know that you've been bought with a price, that word redeemed, that we, we sang redeemed, and therefore then glorify God in your body. That's what we're to do. So know that God is with you. Fourthly, know and believe the promises of God. We've talked about foundationally, you know what has happened, that you are righteous, you are forgiven, you have peace with God, but, but you also must think about the future. We've been talking about this, looking back and looking ahead. We live today by knowing where we've come from and knowing where we're going, and the promises help us to see where we are going. Promise of God, for example, that he works all things together for good, a classic one. There's promises about how he will lead you, promises about how he will bless you, many promises about how he will protect you. You need these promises. They are so, so important. Number five, like it says in Philippians chapter four, um, other places, be thankful. Thank God for who he is and thank God for for what he does. As people, oftentimes we grumble and complain because we feel we don't have something, we want something. But you start thanking God for who he is and what he does and what he gives you. Rich, you'll be overflowing. Man, I'm filled. I'm rich. God has given me so much. And if you're not thinking that way, you're grumbling or complaining, you're forgetting what God's doing. And most grumblers and complainers are not thankful people. They're not thankful. That's a key thing. It's so important. Be thankful. Finally, pray that God takes away any fears that you have, that he then gives you this peace through the Holy Spirit, which he wants to give you. Okay. That's the first overall point, having peace with God um, judicially, and relationally, judicially that being saved and then experientially as you go through life by primarily being holy in your relationship with God and these other points I just mentioned. Second point, helping others have peace with God. This is pretty basic. So let's talk first about those who aren't saved, okay? The unsaved person. Um, they aren't believers. And of course, you know the answer. You need to share the gospel with the unsaved person. And and and. Share, share with them about sin, because what's their problem with sin? And sin is the reason they don't have peace with God. That's, that's it. It's, it's their sin. Now, you want to be loving and gentle, but when you talk to people about their sin, you don't want to be vague. You don't want to be soft. You don't want to be unclear. You want to be very direct. You want to tell them about their sin. An unsaved person must know what sin is, must know how he does sin, and must know that it is a grave offense against the holy God. You need to understand the consequences of sin. This is important. We shouldn't shy away from this. That if it's not dealt with, he'll be apart from God forever and ever, apart from God in a place we call hell. Isaiah 59.2. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. One of the best verses on that point. You're separated from God because of your sin. Isaiah 59.2. The other verse about the consequence of sin, this is 2 Thessalonians 1.8 and 9. These, that is those who aren't saved, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It's eternal destruction. There's two more eternal phrases I'll give you. First is Matthew 25, 41. talks about eternal fire. Eternal fire. Matthew 26, 25, verse 46 talks about eternal, eternal punishment. 
Eternal punishment, eternal fire, eternal destruction. That's three phrases I can think of to describe what hell is. Eternal fire, eternal destruction, and eternal punishment. That's what it is, and that is the truth. That's the truth. A person then needs to know that Christ is the only way that his sin can be dealt with, the only way he can be forgiven of his sins and be right with God. You need to, to explain to him, this person then, the death and resurrection of Christ. You need to explain the heart of the gospel that is Christ then came to die on the cross to pay for the sins of people who sinned against him. And he also then was raised from the dead victoriously so. You need to tell the person that he must repent, a word that's not often used in, the, in churches today. That is to be genuinely sorry um, be remorseful that he has sinned against God, and then believe, faith, repent, and believe. Believe that Jesus paid for his sin. Believe that Jesus not only paid for his sin, but then was raised, that that has got the victory over sin and death. This is what you need to do. John fourteen six says, I am, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father through me. And so this is the gospel. It's only through the gospel then that a person can have peace with God. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, I like this. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. I love these black and white verses. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. Isn't that good? And it goes on to say, I, I, I've given these, these things I've given to you so that he who believes in me then may know that he has eternal life. That is, you may know. Very important word there. God wants us to have knowledge, have conviction, to be certain. I was raised in a church where, you know, you go along and, 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 and they taught this. You, you didn't know while you're going along through life if you were going to go to heaven or hell. You didn't know. Hope so. Maybe. Wish. I work hard enough. You know, I hope so. But you wouldn't find out till you get there, until you die. Isn't that sad? I mean, that is sad, 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 sad. That religion, the Catholics, 1.4 billion people in the world are Catholics. 1.9 are Muslims. They believe similar, unless, of course, you're some kind of martyr. You know, you, you know, martyr, and then you know you're going to heaven, which is a crazy, a crazy lie from the devil. And so you have that. Then you have 1.1 million Hindus. You have, what, what 8, million, 8 billion people? And what, 4.5, what I say? I don't know how many, 4.5 billion or so that, that are on the wrong track, that don't have this certainty that we have as Christians, that you can know for certain if you are saved and going to heaven or to hell. That's what God wants. It's a wonderful truth. It's a wonderful fact that God wants us to know and understand that we can have this assurance then. Now, if you're talking to a person about Christ and their sin, and they're somewhat hard to talk to. I'm talking again about an unbeliever. Here's a verse I want you, you need to know. A couple of verses. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 23 to 26. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, 
with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So what's this say to us? First of all, you're not to quarrel. Not to quarrel. Not to get into this debate with this, this unbeliever about some point. Don't do it. If, you, if it's going that way, stop it. It's not worth quarreling or debating. I mean, if they're not really interested, not interested. Secondly, we're to be kind to them, to love them, be patient with this unbeliever. You're, you're talking to a person about the single most important subject in his life, whether he is saved or lost, whether he knows God in a personal way or doesn't, whether he goes to heaven or hell, the single most important thing. And so, therefore, be patient. Be patient. It's huge. Next, we're to be able to teach, which means you need to know what you're talking about with an unbeliever, okay? You need to know what you're talking about. You need to know what God says about the details of the gospel. Now, granted, if you're a young Christian, you may not know. I remember, you know, this is back, I became a Christian, I believe, in 72, and it was 73. I was home. I think it was summertime. And um, I, I might have told you this story, but I was talking to my brother, and he, in fact, I found this out a couple years ago. He was out partying drugs and drinking the night before <laughs> and I shared the gospel and I didn't know much back when I was a one-year-old in the Lord okay <laughs> but he got saved I mean he was a, a ripe apple or peach whatever he man he was saved he got saved and he was saved for good and I knew it and it was a wonderful thing so the point is I'm not saying you have to know everything but as a Christian you should grow and, and want to know more about the truth and the details of the gospel that's that's what God wants and, and next finally then pray for them Pray for them, that God will open their eyes. That last verse, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. You remember the story in John 15 of the Luke 15, prodigal son, and it says he came to his senses. And people who are unsaved have not come to their senses. They're not seeing clearly. They're deceived. They're confused. They're unbelievers, not believing the truth at all. Now let's talk about helping believers who aren't at peace. So we talked about helping the unsaved. Now we're talking about believers who aren't at peace. And I said, typically, usually, it's because of their sin. You need to help them know what this sin is and then help them, encourage them, that is, to, to confess their sin. Turn to Galatians chapter 6, verses um, like 1 and 2. Galatians 6. Verse 1, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That is, as Christians, we have a responsibility to help other Christians who aren't doing so good. We're talking specifically about here a person who's in some kind of sin. He's not experiencing the peace of God like God wants for him. So you need to tell them that, that, that as a Christian, they can't make themselves have peace. I mean, as, as a believer, I, I can't help you thought, thought about this in your life, and there's something going on, and you're not at peace, and something's troubling you, or you're anxious, worried about whatever, and you try to, okay, i got, got to be at peace. I gotta, you just try to work at it in your own heart. You can't do it. You can't make yourself have peace. You need to trust in the Lord. And the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's the Spirit of God that's got to do it. So you've got to tell them that. You've got to look to God to help you, to give you this peace. It's by the work of the Spirit, then, that you can have this peace. And then it's be patient. The sin of, let's say, for being anxious or 
Worried can be a long ingrained problem. It's like a rut, a spiritual rut. This person has had this problem of being anxious for, let's say, 10, 20 years or 30, and it's really ingrained. And that kind of sin doesn't always typically get taken care of right away. You know what I'm saying? It's a habit. It's a terrible spiritual habit. This anxiety that this person has, this worries, this fears, and, and, and so be patient. And finally, with it, then pray for this person. Ask God to help them deal with this, this, this uh, lack of peace, this sin, whatever it might be. It's very important. So this is, again, part of, art of what God wants for us, that Galatians 6, 1 is a very important one, and 2 a very important, helping unbelievers. The third point is, is, is about having peace with believers. And I say believers because you can't have true peace with unbelievers, right? You can't. You just can't. I mean, you all know unbelievers. You all know people who aren't saved, and you can get along with them, and you can talk to them, and you can have things in common, and you can have somewhat of a, somewhat of a relationship, if I can say it that way, but you can't have true godly peace because you are light and they are darkness. And what fellowship does light have with darkness? None. So we're talking about believers here. So, so what do we say here? Let's talk about then having peace with the believers and then having a good relationship with them. We're going to share just a few thoughts today. Then we're going to uh, look at this a lot more next week as well. First of all, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14, pursue peace with all men. Again, we're not talking about the, the peace with God. We're talking about having the peace of God in our hearts and then having peace with others. So you understand the importance there. To have peace with others, to have a relationship with others, then you need to be saved, have this peace with God, and then also have the peace of God in your heart, and then, thirdly, you can have peace with other believers, okay? Now, it says there, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. We, we saw that. That's a good way to sum up 1 John 1 there, the 3 to 9. You want to be holy so you can have a good relationship and fellowship with God and with man. That's one way to talk about verse 14, okay? Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord and no one then can have a really good positive relationship with other believers, so again, the sanctification, being holy as a Christian, that's what we're saying. So the first point then is make sure you're right with God, that your soul is cleansed from sin. You know, the, I, I can't remember which chapter, it's Matthew, maybe it's Matthew 7. But you know the story where Jesus is talking and he says, uh, you know, take the log out of your own eye. You know, we, we, we all see other people's problems, right? Every one of us here, we're pretty good at, hey, that person's got a problem. And whether you talk to him or not, hey, that person's got a problem. We can be really good, but what Jesus says is take the log out of your own eye first, and then you can take the speck that's out of their eye. Okay, so that's the first point. We understand that, this idea of just being right with God, our souls cleansed. First John 1, as I said, talks about walking in the light, about being holy in your relationship with God, and this then enables you not just to have a good relationship with God, but also then to have a good relationship, good fellowship with other believers. That's what he wants. So there may be some sin in your life. Who knows what it might be? Maybe some sin, maybe some wrong attitude or wrong thought that you have towards the other person, and this is 
not good. It's, it's affecting your relationship. I mean, you've all, you've all been through this. I know you have. I've been through this. You have the wrong attitude towards somebody, okay? It's affecting how you think of them and how you talk to them and how you relate to them because of this wrong attitude, some kind of sin, and God says take care of it. These wrong attitudes will be a roadblock to having peace and will prevent you from having the kind of relationship that God wants you to have with this other person. That's what's going to happen. Maybe something they did. Maybe something they said. And you're angry at them for it, or you're jealous of what they have, or you're just fearful of them, whatever it might be. And these kinds must be dealt with if you're to have real peace. They must be. I mean, I know this with my wife. I mean, any of you are married, you understand this. Sometimes, you know, you do something or they do something, but I'm talking here about what I do, and, you know, it causes problems. You can't talk like you should talk. You can't relate. You can't communicate. It's not good. It's got to be dealt with. And sometimes it's hard. Well, it is hard to be humble and admit, hey, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I, I, you know, we need to be like that. We need to be ones who deal with this, this, this sin. And so if you've sinned against them, if you've said or done something that wasn't right, if you've been wrong or mean to them, then you need to confess that sin. You need to apologize and ask forgiveness so as to restore the relationship, to have this peace, to have this fellowship with them that God wants you to have. So again, this is, this is the first point. There's many other points that go next week, and there's one more that I'm going to finish for the day. But the third point needs to be communication with the other person. You've got to communicate. You, you, you can't be silent. You cannot not say anything to that person, expect it to be peace, expect it to be a good relationship. That doesn't work that way. You all, you all understand, you've heard this, and maybe this happened to you sometime. There's a, you know, they talk about marriage relationships, and if you go to counseling, in fact, we were talking to James this morning, they had their first counseling. I was getting married in, in March, and so first counseling was yesterday. I'm sure they'll talk about communication. Not getting along because there's not good communication. You've heard that. You have to have good communication. You need to be kind and compassionate and patient in your speech and what you say to them. And, and it's sort of like this. People aren't talking. They're like, they're, like, they're like boxers. You've all seen boxing. They have peace when they're sitting in their corners. When they're out in the ring, they're hitting each other. You see? And, and so we, we ought not be like that, ignoring people, not talking, not listening, staying in our corner, so to speak. That's not true peace. God wants us to have peace. And so, indeed, there must be good, consistent, loving communication with other people. We're talking about, again, this relationship. The simple verse in Ephesians 4.15 is just basic. Speak the truth in love. It says three things. First, you've got to speak. Okay. You all speak to people and you speak, okay? But it says speak the truth. That's good. Got to speak the truth. What's the final point? Speak the truth in love. There have been many times I've spoken the truth to my wife, but not in a loving way. You know what happens? <laughs> it doesn't sit so good. I told her the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> Got to be loving and patient and kind and compassionate. Speak. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. That's the last one's the hard part. It's a character. God's got to do that. He's got to help you be loving in your speech, okay? You know the truth. You're speaking the truth, but you're not sitting in a loving way. So very, very important. Much more, again, about the, this subject next week. We're talking about being a peacemaker, and we're going to talk more about having good relationships with fellow believers, and then finally talking about how to help other believers have 
good relationships with themselves. So it really relates to counseling. It's, a little, it's more of your advanced degree as a Christian. How do you help two other believers get along with each other? Okay, and it takes some maturity, but God wants to help each one of us with regards to that. I want to read just a couple verses. Uh, John John 13, there's none, John, I think it's 14. Peace, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give to you? And it says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. He goes on to say, in the world you'll have tribulation. And we see a lot of tribulation in the world. A lot of reasons to not have peace. A lot of reasons, right? You know that. But God says, hey, I don't care what's going on. No matter how bad it is. It's like that Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God, even when there's earthquakes and there's wars all about. And that's what God wants to train of us. Peace is not a matter of just sitting in some nice room or some nice place or just taking a nice walk in the park. That's not peace. Peace is what God gives you through the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're talking about here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for your word, your truth about this peace, the importance of it. Peace with you and the peace of God that you want to give each of us here in our daily life and want us to have it all the time. And I, and I think again about how we can be anxious and worried and frightened and frustrated and upset about different things, Lord, and just pray you'd help us to be ones who deal with that, God. It may be a rut in some of our lives and, and we worry a lot and we shouldn't worry one bit. Says, Don't worry about anything. So help us, Father, we pray. This is, you can do this. This might seem like something impossible, as we start thinking about not worrying about anything, it seems really difficult, but God, you can do it. We want to have peace because this indeed is the mark of a true Christian is having the peace that you want to give us and you can give us by the work of the Spirit and the work of your word as well in our lives. Thank you for each one here. Lead us, God, as a church. Lead us individually. Lead us as families. We pray for your blessing. Pray for your protection, Lord. We just ask you for all these things. And again, we want you to be glorified. And might, not, might that be our heart to... More than anything else, to you to be glorified, you to be seen, you to be worshipped, Lord. And this is, then should be our heart every day and forever and ever. We just now pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.